Our Father in his omniscient love uh, secured for us so many lives and so many testimonies of those who have been, as I told you yesterday, uh, in many of the circumstances that we are facing today. And God in his love for us preserved for us their path from ruin to recovery. And if we're just willing to follow what the word of God has prescribed for us in these stories, in these accounts, then we will find our way from ruin to the recovery that God would have us to find. This morning we're going to look at the life of David. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 13 as we look at a very, very frightening account in the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter number 30, what we're going to read about is something that I believe would bring all of us to our knees, but I believe there's a unique parallel between what David is about to encounter and what we are going through right now. In 1 Samuel chapter number 30, I want to give you a little background of what's going on here. David has been exiled by Saul. David is literally a man without a country. Saul has chased him out, and David has ran for his life, and David unfortunately sought shelter with the Philistines. The Bible says that King Achish gave him sanctuary, but as the Philistines prepared to go to battle, uh, and the other lords of the Philistines saw David and his men in that parade, that they protested and demanded that Achish expel David as well. So now David's been expelled by his own country, and now David's been expelled by his enemies. And so David is going back to his home base of refuge, if you will. That home base was Ziklag. It was an area that Achish had allowed him to settle in, and that's where his men and their families had settled as well. And in in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're seeing what happens as they journey back to the city of Ziklag. The Bible says, and it came to pass when David and his men, verse 1, were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. The Bible says they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. Now, I want you to think about and imagine the feeling of what David is going through at this moment. David is going back to his city, his town, where his family is. If you will, it was his place of refuge in spite of all the areas that he had already been forced out of. And this was going to be his one place of solace and it be his one place of refuge. And yet he comes up in verse number one and verse number two, and all of that has suddenly changed. In an instant, his family is gone, his city is gone, and everything that he knew, his normal is no longer normal. As a matter of fact, normal no longer exists. And I want you to try to imagine this morning the great heartache that David felt as his world has now been turned upside down. But I want you to read something very beautiful. It was skip on down in chapter 30, and I want you to read verse number 18. I want you to read the first three words of verse number 18. The Bible says, and David recovered. I want you to think about that. Verse 1, verse 2, his entire world has been turned upside down. All that he knew and all that he was comfortable with and all that he loved, his city, his family, the families of all of his men, they are now gone in verse number 1, in verse number 2. And yet we find in verse number 18, the Bible says, and David recovered. In spite of the unimaginable circumstances and feelings that David was going through, we see that he went on just a few verses later to recover. And the Bible says he recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them. 
Now this morning, I believe we're in verse number one and verse number two here in our lives, in our country. Everything's been turned upside down. Everything is not the way we remember it. Our life is uh, anything but normal, and normal no longer exists. But I believe if we can follow the path David leaves behind for us, I believe we can find our verse number 18, and we're going to follow David on this path to the road to recovery this morning. So let's go ahead and pray, and let's ask God to bless his word, and let's be obedient to it. Father God, I thank you, uh, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for preserving accounts just like this. Lord, we need this today. Uh, Father, we're living in a world and we're waking up to a world where everything's different. We're coming home to find a world where normal no longer exists. And Father, many are dealing doubly with the virus and now with these storms. And Father, we need to find hope from your word and strength and courage from your word this morning. I pray you'd help us with that. Help us find our verse 18 where we recover. I pray, Father, whatever we need to do between verse 2 and verse 18, help us be willing even now, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, I want you to look back to verse number 1 and verse number 2. And I was thinking about this last night, that I don't think I've ever preached on a topic other than sin that affected everyone at the same time and in the same way. You think about the severity of this virus, and you think about the effects of the storms that we have faced, and all of those that are dealing with this, and it's really affected everybody. Matter of fact, I looked on the website last night. As far as we can tell, there are only two credible countries uh, that do not have cases of the coronavirus. North Korea says they don't have it, but I don't put much stock in what North Korea has to say. And so there's really only two credible countries. All over our world, every country but two small countries have been affected by this, and everyone is seeking to recover from something, as I mentioned yesterday, whether it be from the virus or whether it be from these storms. And I want you to notice how similar it is in verse number six to David's case. The Bible says that when David's men came back and they saw that their families were gone, the Bible says they were greatly distressed. And notice the Bible says the people spake of stoning David because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now notice everyone's been affected by what's going on. Everyone has been affected by the Amalekites who've came in, they've taken away their wives, they've taken away their children, and every man that is there is seeking restoration and seeking recovery, and their, their, their grief is boiling over, and now they want to stone David. But it was in the midst of the, the desire for them to stone him that David takes the first step to recovery, and it's in verse number six. The Bible says, Every man for his sons and daughters, he was, they were grieving. But notice what the Bible says in verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David is taking the first step on the road to recovery. And what David is doing, that in the moment where everything has been taken away and everything is gone, everything that might be reassuring to David is now lost, David turns to the only thing that he has left, and that is his God. So notice number one this morning. On the road to recovery, David found reassurance in God. David found reassurance in God. Now, I want you to try to imagine what David is going through and imagine the scene. Here's what, here's what I believe played out as David comes into the city and looks, the city's been burned, the city's been destroyed, nothing is left, much like much of the damage after the tornado, tornadoes have moved through Jefferson Davis and Covington counties and the others that were affected by that. There's just nothing left after the Amalekites have moved through. And as David sits there in the rubble, perhaps of his own home, the men begin to gather around David. 
And the murmuring begins, and they say this is David's fault because David had them over at the, uh, with Achish and with the Philistines. And while they were gone, they lost everything they had, and now they want to stone him. So notice what David did. He turned to the only thing that he had left, and that was his God. Now, here's what's beautiful. David had experience being alone just with God. I was thinking about how many times in David's life he was in the shadow of death. We know Psalms 23. David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to think about this. David once stood in the shadow of a lion that took his dad's sheep. Yet God came through for David. David once stood in the shadow of a bear. The bear came and took one of the lambs out. And David stood there, just him and God. And yet God came through for David again. Before long, David would stand in the shadow of a giant who was certain death, without a doubt. He was but a ruddy youth, the Bible says. And David is surely about to be destroyed. And yet God came through for David once again. Now here sits David in the rubble. David looks around. The men are talking of stoning him. And David is once again sitting in the shadow of death. But I believe as David sat there, and I'm going to tell you this is my opinion, but I believe this is how it went down. As David sits there and he hears the men murmuring and hears the men crying, the Bible says they cried until they could not cry anymore. I believe as David sat there, he began to remember the goodness of God with the lion and the goodness of God with the bear and the goodness of God with the giant. And I believe in the midst of all of his grief and all of the disaster that he said in the midst of, that a smile began to come across the face of David. And David realized that all the times in his life where he said in the shadow of death that his God had come through for him. And the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. What does that mean? That means David found reassurance in the only place that he could find it, and that was his God. Now, folks, can I tell you, I want you to read verse number six in this, in this way. But David encouraged himself that the Lord was his God. I want you to think about that. David was encouraged because he knew that the Lord, the God of heaven, that had delivered him out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and had delivered him from the shadow of death in Goliath, he knew that that God was enough to bring him through what he was going through right now. And so in the midst of all the destruction, David found reassurance in who his God was. David knew his God was going to be enough. David knew that even though he was affected and his men were affected and his city was affected and his children was affected, David knew that God was not affected by the disaster that had moved through his life. And that's why David found courage in who his God was. I think we've all flown before. Most of you probably have flown. And when you get on the airplane, most of you probably, be honest, you sit there uh, and you go ahead and put your headphones on and start watching a movie. Uh, But if you're paying attention, the flight attendant gives us a little bit of a spiel on what to do if the plane goes down and what to do where your flotation device is and all of those things. And one of the things that they tell you is that if the, the cabin loses pressure that the oxygen mask will come down from uh, above you there in the airplane. And they tell you that when the oxygen mask comes down, that you take your oxygen mask and you put it on your face. And I want to show you a slide. I I pulled this off of one of their websites. They tell you to please make sure that you get your oxygen mask on first before you try to help someone else with their oxygen mask. They're telling you that in order for you to be a blessing and to help save other people, you've got to make sure you're going to survive yourself. And so before you turn your attention to others, I know it sounds selfish, but really it's not. 
And this morning, can I tell you that before we can lead our country and our families back on the road to recovery, it's important that we find that road for ourselves. And as David sat there in the midst of his trial, David looks to God and realizes that God was still there and that God hadn't gone anywhere. And the Amalekites could take his city and they could take his family, but they did not touch his God. And that's why David had courage. Now, folks, this morning, if we're going to find our way to the road to recovery, we must understand the road to recovery begins with finding a reassurance in God. Understand this this morning, that just because something is life-altering, does not mean that it's God-altering. You know, it's easy right now to see, excuse me, how this virus has affected every aspect of our life, our jobs, our families, even our worship. Right now, it's easy to see how it has affected all of that, and it's easy for us to think it might have affected God just as well. But the truth is, this morning, what has affected us and had been life-altering to us has not been God-altering. You know, last Sunday morning when the storms moved through, or Sunday afternoon when those storms moved through, Many of you watching were affected by that, that I know. As those storms began to move through our area, I want you to understand something. God was not in a storm shelter. God did not run and hide from this state record of a tornado two and a half miles wide that stayed on the ground for over 70 miles and chewed up trees and forests and homes and people's livelihoods. It's all chewed up, but I want you to understand, when we ran for cover, God did not find a storm shelter to hide in. God was still on his throne, and God was not affected by that. And as we seek the road to recovery, we must understand that the first step to the road to recovery is for us to be reassured and who our God is. God's not gone anywhere. God's still on the throne. God's still all-powerful. God still can turn this thing around in a heartbeat. But we, his people, have got to continue to look for him to find that reassurance. And as verse number six says, find that courage in who our God is. Can I tell you something that blessed me as I prepared for this? What blessed my heart was the fact that even though we live in a world that has changed We live in a world where everything's different. Uh, I mean, going to the grocery store, people are wearing masks. Uh, Go to the gas station, people are wearing masks. Uh, I mean, the world we live in is a different world than we lived in just a few months ago, and all of that has changed. But we need to understand this morning, we can turn to a God who hasn't. The book of Malachi tells us that he's the Lord, and he changes not. The Bible tells us in James chapter 5 that with God, there's no variableness or shadow of turning. What does that mean? That means when everything else in the world has been affected by calamity and disaster and destruction, we can find the road to recovery. Why? Because God is the one thing that's not going to change. And here's David. David's sitting in the midst of all the rubble. David looks around and can't find anything that's not been effective, affected except for his God. So number one this morning, notice the road to recovery. Begins with a reassurance of who our God is. Is that water right there? All of the morning devotions, I'm about to lose my voice. Thank you very much. I want to read for you a story. It's one of my favorite accounts from Robert Louis Stevenson. He tells of the story of a vessel that was caught off the shore, a very rocky shore, and the winds were driving the ship into the rocks. And those who were on the ship were fearing for their life and went below decks as the captain tried to navigate the ship away from the shore and out to sea. The story goes on to tell of one man who had the courage to leave the safety of below decks and climb up to get a glimpse of the captain. 
And the story goes on to say by Stevenson that he saw the steerman at his post holding the wheel unwaveringly. And inch by inch turning the ship out once more to sea. The pilot saw the watcher and smiled. Then the daring passenger went below and gave a note of cheer. I have seen the face of the pilot and he smiled all is well. In the midst of this storm, when the winds were blowing and the rocks were right off the side of the ship and they thought all would be lost, he went and he saw the face of the captain. And the face of the captain was inch by inch, turning the ship back out to sea and away from the rocks. And when the captain saw the watcher looking up to get a glimpse on how things were going, the captain smiled. And the watcher went below decks and he told everyone that was there, he says, all is well. I've seen the face of our captain. And he smiled. This is what David's doing. David understands how bad the situation is. But David looks to the face of the captain, his God, and he saw that his God was unfazed through all of this. And this is an opportunity for the people of God to rely on their captain and rely on their God like never before. Why? Because God's not been affected by all of this. And as the people of God, we can find reassurance in who our God is. Perhaps this is why David wrote in Psalms chapter 4. He says this in verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. More than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. What did David say? David says, I have more reassurance than those who are increased in earthly goods. Can I encourage you this morning to make sure that your hope and your reassurance is not based in something that can be taken away? David says, I lay down and I have sleep and I have peaceful sleep. Why? He says, for thou and thou only makest me to dwell in safety. Now, folks, this morning, I believe the reason that David was able to encourage himself in the Lord because who his Lord was. David says, we've been here before. We've been to places where we were in the shadow of death, the lion, the bear, and the giant, and that same God that brought him through all of that gave him reassurance that he would bring him through this as well. I want to give you one more thing before I move to the second point. You remember when God called Moses? God told Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. You know what that was? That was really in the shadow of death. God told Moses, I want you to go into Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And I want you to deliver my people out of Egypt. And Moses asked God, well, who do I tell them when I come to them? Who do I tell them sent me? And what did God say? You know the verse well. He says, tell them that I am sent you. I want you to think about what God's telling Moses. God's reassuring Moses. As Moses sets off on a very difficult path to go through the valley of the shadow of death, as Moses sets off, God reassures them of who he is. God says, Moses, it's okay as you go into this difficult time because I am. I will be all that you need me to be as you move forward in my will for your life. What a blessing it is this morning to know that he still is. You know, when I think that I'm not strong enough, God says, I am. You know, there's times as we've been going through all of this and trying to juggle this and that. You're thinking, I don't know if I have the wherewithal to do all of this. God says, don't worry, I am. There are times where we go through this and in this uncharted territory, we go through times of uncertainty and we don't know exactly what to do. And we go to God and we say, God, I'm not sure what to do. God says, don't worry, I am. God knows exactly what he's doing. And all the times we find we're not what we think we are, God reassures us that he is and God says, I am. So the first step this morning to getting to the road to recovery is to find some reassurance in your God. 
Understand that before you can lead others to the road to recovery, you've got to find it yourself. And the only way you're going to find it is to have hope and faith and trust in who your God is, that God's not been affected by any of this. But let's keep reading. I want you to see what happens. The Bible says in verse 6 that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In verse number 7, he said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. Verse number 8, the very beginning, holds a very important truth for us. It says, and David inquired at the Lord. So watch the first step. The first step was he sought reassurance or found reassurance in who his God was. The second thing he did was, as soon as he reassured him that his God was still there and his God was not affected by all of that, notice the Bible says he inquired at the Lord. What is he doing? Step number two, he sought a resolution from God. The first thing he did was he found reassurance in God that God was not affected and God was not moved by all the calamity. But the second thing he did was he sought a resolution for God. The only way we can hope to find our way through this uncharted territory is we must know when to make which turns. You know how difficult that is? Because we're going through something we've never gone through before. If we make the right turn, we'll find our way out of this. If we make the wrong turns, it could prolong the difficulty that we're going through. And I want you to notice the turn that David made. The Bible says he inquired at the Lord. David turned to the Lord for answers. Can I tell you this morning, there was ever a time the people of God needed to be seeking out the Lord for answers and for a resolution to what we're going through is right now. I don't know that there's anything more powerful we could do at this time than to seek out the almighty God of heaven who's been not affected by what we're going through and seek out his resolution for what we're facing right now. I mean, look, we can't go soul winning right now. We can't go door knocking. We can't really pass out a whole lot of tracks. But what can we do? We can seek out a resolution from the God of heaven. That's exactly what David did. The Bible says he inquired at the Lord. Here's something that really struck me as interesting. You know, David was a very resourceful person. You know, David had been in and out of scrapes with Saul for years. David could get out out of just about any kind of a bind. David had been in scraps with lions and bears and even giants. And David found his way out of that. But as resourceful as David was, as crafty as David was, and victorious as David was, I want you to notice he understood that this was beyond him. This was beyond him. And as we read, we're going to realize that David's recovery, listen closely to this, David's recovery would depend upon him seeking out a resolution from God. The only way that David is going to reach verse number 18, the Bible says that David recovered. The only way he's going to reach that is for David to inquire of the Lord. And I believe this morning, listen, our recovery, not only as, a, as families and as a church body, but our recovery as a city and as a state and as a country, the only way we're going to find recovery is to make sure we seek out a resolution from Almighty God. And by the way, could I tell you this morning, where we turn for help says a lot about how serious we are at finding the solution. I hate to tell you this. But if a $1,200 check for adults and a $500 check for children is the answer or your answer to the problem, I don't feel that you understand really what our problem is. I believe our country is at a very pivotal moment right now. 
I believe our country right now is sitting in the midst of everything that's, that's been taken away and everything is different and our world's been turned upside down and we're sitting here now and we must decide who or what we're going to turn to for the resolution to get to the place that we're at. The Bible says that David inquired of the Lord. If you go throughout our history of our country, last night I took an opportunity to walk through some of the historical records of how great men and women turned to God in our country in times of need. I printed off several of them that I want to read for you. We read of one, Ronald Reagan's one of my favorites. There was a picture that he prized as one of his favorites. I'll show you. It's of George Washington kneeling at Valley Forge. And he's kneeling in the snow. We have that, there we go. We have that picture up there. And the reason Ronald Reagan loved this picture, he said this, and I quote, he said, this image personified a people who knew it was not enough to depend on their own courage and goodness. They must also seek the help from God, their father and their preserver. Now, here was a president in my lifetime, which has been just a short lifetime because I'm still very young, Here was a president in my lifetime who understood that in the hour of need, in our time of calamity, that our country had to seek out a resolution from Almighty God. Go back a little further to Abraham Lincoln, and he said this, I would be the most foolish person on this footstool earth if I believe for one moment that I could perform these duties assigned to me without the help of one who is wiser than all. Now, you remember the president, Lincoln, what he presided over? The Civil War. Here's Abraham Lincoln trying to hold together things that were tearing themselves apart. And as Abraham Lincoln tries to hold our country together, he says, there's no way that I could do this job. I would be foolish if I believed for one moment that I could perform the duties assigned to me without the help of one who is wiser than all. General Patton, December of 1944, is preparing a massive offensive in the Battle of the Bulge. As they prepare to launch this offensive, there come in snowstorms and sleet and rain that are hampering the effort. As they seek to crush the German offensive, General Patton kneels and he prays for the sake of his troops and he says this, Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain these immoderate rains which we have had to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call upon thee that are armed with thy power that we may advance from victory to victory. That we may crush the oppression and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. This is General Patton calling out to Almighty God. They're going in on an offensive and they're trying to stop evil from marching around the world. And in that critical hour when it seems that all could be lost, he called out to Almighty God for a resolution. And the story goes that it was the miracle of all miracles. The snow stopped and the men advanced and the rest is history. Give you one more. This is a little more current In my lifetime, September the 11th, 2001, as President Bush began to pray for healing in our country, he said this. He says, I pray that we will be comforted by a power greater than any of us, spoken to us through the ages in Psalms 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Here's President Bush presiding over a country who has gone through great catastrophe. Many of you remember that. And in that hour of great need, he turns to Almighty God. Why? He's seeking a resolution from God. He realized that what we were going through was beyond us. And God help us this morning to get to the place to realize that the crisis that our world is facing right now, the crisis that our state is facing right now, the resolution is beyond us. But it's going to require us to swallow our pride and to humbly bow before an almighty God to find a resolution that only God can give. To be honest with you, I believe in times like these, uh, we can show how serious we are about having our land to be healed. 2 Chronicles 7.14, we know the verse well, but I want you to look at it in the context of the whole, the whole passage, if you will. In 2 Chronicles 7, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read verse 13 for you. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 13. Listen close to what the Bible says before we get to 14. The Bible says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Well, notice what God is saying there. God says, if there comes a time where the heavens are shut up and I shut up the heavens that there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, oh, how it seems this virus is a pestilence. Then he says, verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face then, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. What is God saying here? God says that there comes a time to where the heavens are not opened up and there's no rain and the locusts come through uh, and the pestilence comes upon the land. What is he saying? If there comes a time where everything is wiped out and everything's been turned up on its head, if there comes a time like that and you desire a solution, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. They know what you're doing when we humble ourselves. We are confessing before God that this is beyond us. And right now, what an opportunity we have to humble ourselves before God and confess that what's going on is beyond us. And we must seek out a resolution from God. And I believe this pivotal moment, we can do just that. I heard a story once about an atheist. This atheist decided he was going to tour all of the national parks around our country. As he walks around in the parks, he gets to Yellowstone and sees the mountains that are there. And he says, it's beautiful how those mountains evolved just like that. He goes there by Old Faithful and sees the geyser and says, boy, it's just beautiful how that evolved just like that. And in a few moments, a bear walks out and he says, boy, that that bear just evolved so beautifully. Well, the bear caught wind of him and began to chase him because he was hungry. And uh, right as the bear reached out to catch the man, the man cried out. He says, God, you've got to help me. And all of a sudden, God just froze everything. Now, this is hypothetical, okay? Don't you think this really happened? All of a sudden, everything froze. The birds stopped singing. The river stopped flowing. Then everything stopped. The bear was just frozen in his tracks. And the atheist is talking to God, and God says, well, now you want to call out to me. Now you've reached this difficult place, and now you want to acknowledge I'm here. And the atheist uh, says, uh, you know, well, I guess you are right. It would be kind of foolish for me to deny you my whole life, and then now I want to turn to you. So I'm not going to ask you to save me, but I'm going to ask you, why don't you save the bear? Why don't you convert the bear? Because I, I can't do that. I can't go back. That would be disingenuous. So why don't you just save the bear? And so God says, okay. And all of a sudden he snaps his fingers. Life goes back to normal and the bear stops. And the bear kneels down and the bear begins to pray. He says, Lord, I thank you for this meal that you have now provided for me. Bless it to the nurturing of my body. 
But aren't we very much the same this morning? We finally have to get to the place where the bear has almost caught us. We have to get to the place where help is beyond us for us finally to call out to God. And what an opportunity we have right now to seek out a holy resolution from Almighty God. Now notice something, if you will, in verse number 6. Or verse number 7. I'm sorry, verse number 8. They run together after you've looked at them for a week. The Bible says, and David inquired. The Bible says, David inquired. Now, this is interesting. When you look at this word, David's not just going and asking God for something. David's not just going and asking God for a handout. And how often is that the case? Uh, we want God. I fear this. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but I believe it's true. We want God to only be the Lord over our problems. We don't want God to lord over our life. We just want God to lord over our problems. God, I'm going to call you as soon as the bear begins to get close. This is not what David's doing. When you look up the word inquire and really see what's going on here, what David is going to God for is David is saying, God, tell me what I need and tell me what to do. He's not going to God and asking God and telling God what he needs. He's going to God and says, God, I want you to tell me what you want to do and what I need to do. And oh, how right now we need to inquire of God. Instead of going to God and say, God, would you fix our economy? Instead of going to God and say, God, would you just remove this virus? Why don't we go to God with an honest and open and sincere heart and inquire of God exactly what he wants of us? I fear that sometimes we limit our prayers and we limit God to what we think we need. Yet David's going to God and asking God, God, what do I need to do? I believe when we get serious, we'll be willing to go to God and say, God, I'm not just going to ask you to heal our economy. I'm not just going to ask you to heal those that are sick. I'm going to ask you to tell me exactly what you want and what I need to do and then be willing to do that. Um, I was thinking about someone yesterday, and uh, they don't live in this state, don't go to this church, so don't think it's you, okay? But uh, you ever get on a phone call with people, and you're not able to get a word in edgewise? They call you, hey, how you doing? Yada, yada, yada. We're talking, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. And for about two hours, you haven't been able to get a word in edgewise. At the very end, they said, well, it was good talking to you. They weren't really talking to you. They were talking at you. you. You weren't able to get a word in edgewise. And then they hang up. You're like, man, I didn't get to say anything back. The whole conversation was them telling me about everything they wanted to tell me. And then they just hang up. How often is that the way it is with God? We go to God in prayer and we say, God, our country is hurting right now. We need you to heal our country. We go to God and say, our state is hurting right now. People have been affected by these storms that have moved through. And God, we need recovery right now. And we tell God, we tell God, we tell God. But we hang up on God. We don't give God an opportunity to tell us what he wants us to know. And when the Bible says that David inquired at the Lord, what David is doing is David says, tell me exactly what you want from me. And then David pauses to listen. Right now, I do believe we need to pray. Right now, I do believe we need to seek a resolution from God. But I believe we need to hang on the line just long enough for God to tell us exactly what he wants from us. That's why we have invitation time at church. Look, that's why it's important you sit through the invitation because this is the opportunity to give God what he wants. It would be a shame to come to the house of God to hear the message, but then never give God what he wants during the invitation through our obedience. So number two, he sought a resolution from God. We see this in the book of Proverbs. Listen close to the Bible. It says in verse 30, chapter 30, verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Notice what verse number eight is saying. Verse number eight is not saying, give me poverty or riches. It says, give me neither of those. Just give me what I need. 
Right now, we need to hear from God. And if we're serious about hearing from God, we're not just going to tell him what's wrong and ask him to do this for us. We're going to ask God, what does he want from us in order that we might find our way to the road to recovery? Before I give you number three, look at verse seven. I think this bears mentioning. The Bible says, and David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. Now you understand what the ephod was. The ephod was part of the priestly garment, the high priest garment. It had the beautiful stones on the front of it and the onyx stones on it. And it was part of how God designed that man would find and seek his will. Notice how serious David is. David wasn't praying around and playing around in his prayer saying, God is good, God is great, God heal our country, amen. No, David was very serious. And I believe right now that we've got to be willing to seek out a resolution from Almighty God like we never have before and then be willing to hear God on what he has to say. So what did God have to say in verse 8? And David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? David turned to God for answers. There's no way we're going to make it out of this uncharted territory without making the right turns. And that turn has to be for God for answers. David inquired at the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? Watch this. And he answered him, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them. Without fail, recover all. Notice David asked and God answered. And notice what the prescription for his affliction was. God says, I just want you to pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. Now, there's a contingency in there that we've got to see. Don't overlook it. Now, I know we're excited about thinking about getting to the road of recovery, but there's a contingency in there that we must see. The final step in the road to recovery, number three, notice he pursued the requirements of God. Pursue the requirements of God. Now, God says here, I want you to go after them. God says, go get them. God says, what you're looking for is out there. But you've got to get up, quit your crying, get up, you and your men, get on your horses, get on your camels, get on your mules, and pursue them. He says, go get it. You've got to be willing to go get what I told you that you can have. Now, understand this this morning. Knowing that God has the power and being reassured that our God still has the power, that's great. And then knowing that we can go to God and we can seek out the plan, that's great. But just because he has the power and he has the plan is useless if we don't pursue it. Folks, here's where the rubber meets the road for us today. Ultimately, if we're serious about recovery, we're not going to be just content to possess the plan. We've got to pursue the plan. I want you to try to imagine, here's David. David and his men are sitting there, and God speaks to David, and God says, David, I want you to pursue after it, and you're going to recover all. I want you to imagine if David said, you know what? That's a great idea, uh, but here's what we need to do. Since our wives and our children are gone, hey, well, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> we're going to rebuild our houses first. You know, all of our houses have been torn down. Our city's been burned down. They're, hey, instead of going after our wives and our children, why don't we rebuild the houses and surprise them before they get home? I think the men probably would have scratched their heads a little bit. What if David would have said, you know, uh, everything's gone. They've stolen everything. Why don't we get a little money in the bank? And why don't we go work a little bit, get some money in the bank before our families come home. That way we can buy groceries and things along that sort. And let's just wait on going and pursuing after them until we get a little bit more money in the bank. Or maybe if David just said, maybe we'll just wait till we're ready. You know, look, we've been riding. It's been a while. having an emotional day. Having a difficult time. Why don't we just wait here for a little while? I think the men would have thought David was crazy. Why? 
Because the longer that David and his men would have waited, meanwhile, the enemy's making off with their families. Meanwhile, the enemy is carrying them further and further and further away from home. I want you to understand something this morning. I'm not against work. I'm not against money. I'm not against rest. But if there ever was a time in the need for urgency to pursue after the things of God, it's right now. I don't know of a time ever in my lifetime that the urgency has been greater to pursue the requirements of God. I mean, how, how ludicrous would it be for us to sit back and say, you know what, I'm going to seek God after I get everything situated the way I want it in my life. No, look, the longer we wait to pursue the requirements of God, the further away the enemy makes off with our families and with our country. What an opportunity we have right now to pursue. The word pursue means this, to proceed in order to secure. To proceed in order to secure. If we desire to secure the road to recovery, we must understand that it's going to require us, look, to acknowledge the power of God, to acknowledge the plan of God, but we must decide we're going to pursue after it to proceed in order to secure. I think about Noah this morning. God comes to Noah in the book of Genesis, and God says to Noah that I'm going to destroy the world. Most of the world will not recover. But you and your family can survive this and you can recover from the flood. But here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to build this very large boat out in the middle of nowhere. And by the way, it's never rained. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11 about Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God. And there's the information. Being warned of God, things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. What did Noah do? Noah says the only way we're going to recover from this thing is going to be a worldwide flood. It's going to wipe out everything. Our neighbors are going to be gone. Their homes will be gone. The whole world's going to be gone. The only chance we have to recover is to follow the requirements of God and to build this great big old boat in the middle of nowhere amidst the ridicule of all the people. But notice the Bible says he did it to the saving of his house. Can I tell you this morning that the spiritual problems in America far overshadow the problems we're facing with this virus and unfortunately even the tornadoes. Right now the enemy's making off with our homes. It's making off with our children. It's making off with our country. And yet we're saying, you know what, I don't have time to pursue that because right now I'm going to get my life built the way I want it. I'm going to get things in order the way that I like it. And then I'm going to pursue the things of God. You know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to pursue the things of God as soon as I get just enough money in the bank and get things where I want it. And meanwhile, our families are being taken. We're losing them. Our churches, we're losing them. Our country, listen, we are, there was a communist, a socialist uh, who was running for president and actually got votes, millions of them, in America. What's happened? I'll tell you what's happening. God's people, and it falls in the lap of God's people because he said, if my people, the problem lies with us, that we're not pursuing the requirements of God. God says what we want is out there. God says there's recovery out there. But the problem is God's people are too busy building their lives and building their bank accounts and waiting till they're ready. And meanwhile, the amount are making off with our children and our homes and our churches and we're going to look up one day and it's all going to be gone. Why? Because we were not ready to pursue at the requirements of God. He's given us what we need to know to recover. I mean, it's been in this book since before we were born. 
He's given us the requirements of how we can have his blessing. He tells us blessings if we obey and a curse if we disobey. But here's the problem. We're not ready. We're too busy building our homes and our lives and our kingdoms and our bank accounts to pursue after what's being taken from us as we speak. Verse number 18, I want you to know when I read verse number 18 this past week, it brought tears to my eyes. Those three words, David recovered. But David recovered in spite of verse number one and verse number two, as catastrophic as it was, David recovered. He got it all back. And the Bible says that there was not anything. Notice what his Bible says in verse 18. All that the Amalekites had carried away. Verse 19, there was nothing lacking. David comes home. His world is turned upside down. David comes home. Nothing's the way he remembered it. David comes home and he's lost everything. And you're thinking in verse 1 and verse number 2, there's no recovery. There's no way. There's no way we're going to make it out of this hole. Lost it all. I'm sure our family's carried away and they're gone. They've probably killed them. And the Bible tells us in verse 18, and David recovered. He recovered all and that nothing was lacking. Why? Why? Well, David set out on the road to recovery. What did he do? He found assurance in who his God was. Now, folks, before we start looking to the government, it's where we start looking to the politicians, understand this. The only thing that's going to get us on the road to recovery is to look to the only thing that has not changed, and that's God. God's not been affected by any of this. He's still on the throne, and he still has power. There's no need for us to walk around and trip over our bottom lip. Look, it's going to be all right. Why? Because God's still on the throne. That's how David encouraged himself in the Lord. He got reassurance in who his God was. He said, my God hasn't gone anywhere. Everything's changed. But I turn to the one thing that hasn't changed, and that's my God. What did he do next? Well, David sought out a resolution from God. David says, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to say, God, I can't do this. This is beyond me. God, we've got to have a resolution from you. We need to know what to do. Just tell us what you want. And God says, pursue. And finally, we see David pursuing the requirements of God. Folks, I believe with all of my heart that what we're looking for is out there. But here's what we need to see before we close, and I'll be done. It was in pursuing the requirements of God that he found what he was looking for. He just did what God said, and the byproduct of that was he got his family back. Now, isn't that amazing? And so often we're seeking, as Matthew 6, says, to get all of these things, and we ignore God, and yet we find that when we seek God, God takes care of all these things. And as David sought God and the requirements that God had laid out, and as David was obedient to what God had said, he found what he was looking for anyway. So this morning, the road to recovery is simple, but it's going to require some work. Number one, you need to get reassurance of who your God is. So can I ask you this this morning? Is the Lord your God? Is he yours? I'm not asking, do you know of him? And I'm not asking you, have you heard of him? Look, as the song says, in times like these, you need a savior. You need to know that the Lord is your God. You need reassurance that you can only get from the only thing that hasn't changed in our world, and that's almighty God. Is the Lord your God? Now, folks, the Bible tells us there'll come a day where many will stand before him and say, Lord, Lord. They knew who he was, but he didn't know who they were. Because they had never trusted him as Savior. If you are saved here this morning, can I ask you this? If you know him, how well do you know him? Do you know the peace you have through all of this will be reflected uh, uh, by how much you know the Lord? 
David knew him well. David says, the lion, the bear, and the giant, that was my God. He got me through that. David says, I know him well enough. He's going to get me through this as well. You see, you'll have more peace the better you know God. This is why we must draw nigh unto God. Why? Because that's where our reassurance comes from. I believe this morning, if you're serious about recovery, you're willing to seek out God for resolution. Ask God, God, what do you want from me? Don't go to God and say, God, I need you to fix my bank account. I need you to fix so-and-so that's sick. I need you to... No, no, no. You go to God and say, okay, God, I just need to hear from you. What do you want? What do I need to do? And when we inquire of God, God will speak to us. And if we're obedient, we'll take the second step to the road to recovery. The final step is simply to pursue what God has told you about already. You know the will of God. He's made it clear through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. And can I tell you this before we pray? Time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. Every moment that David waited to do what God told him, the further and further away his family was being carried. Every moment that David decided, you know what, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to wait, I'm going to tarry, I'm going to go wait. No, no, every moment his family was getting further and further away. And boy, I'll bet you David and his men jumped on their camels and they took off as fast as they could. Why? Because he wanted to restore and to recover all that had been taken. We've lost a lot. Everything's different. Our world's changed. But there's a recovery out there if we're just willing to do it God's way. So I don't know how God may have spoke to your heart this morning, but I'm going to beg you to do this. Pursue it. If God told you that you were lost this morning and need to be saved, you better pursue that. Listen, if you're saved this morning and you'd only go to God when there's an emergency, I'm going to encourage you to pursue a closer relationship with God because the closer you get to him, the more reassurance you'll get from him. And then finally, if God has put something on your heart specific that you know exactly what it is, I'm just going to encourage you to pursue it. That way we can find that road to recovery. Now let's pray and let's give an uh, an opportunity for invitation to be obedient to how God may have spoke to our hearts this morning. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one's looking around, perhaps you know what God has laid on your heart today.